Welcome to A Clean Bill of Wealth, the podcast for Canadian doctors. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall. Join me as I cover concepts of utmost importance to doctors in the Great White North and interview experts in the area of finance for doctors as well as other topics. Be sure to stay tuned to the end to find out where to get your free access to the Canadian Doctors Boot Camp that I've created as well as get in line for the next Money Mastery Challenge. And now welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Galen Nuttall here, financial security advisor, and I'm here today with Melanie Nash. Uh, we are actually having an in-person interview at her office in Belleville at Welch. And uh, just quickly about Melanie. Melanie is a partner here at Welch in Belleville, and she has many years of experience dealing with corporations. And um, I'll talk a little bit about her philosophy and approach. Um, but first, welcome, Melanie. Thanks for uh, doing this interview. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And as many of you are probably listening to this, it's follow-up from a couple of bullet points you saw in the newsletter. And um, in order to keep that from being too lengthy, I've decided to follow it up with an interview to kind of expand on a few of the bullet points. Um, before we dive in, though, Melly and I have um, kind of talked about this a little bit before I hit record, that it's hard to give blanket advice that's going to suit everyone because everyone's um, situation is different. And so I, that's another reason why a conversation like this is helpful. So um, how is that something that you find it's hard to give sort of cut and dry advice to people um, in a setting of like, when should I incorporate and why? Absolutely. Because there's, as you said, there's no one uh, scenario that's identical to another. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think what's what I what we talked about a little bit and what you provided in the article was sort of some guidelines around when it might make sense or when it's sort of um, some indicators of when incorporation might make sense. So we right. can expand on those a little bit. Um, so first off, uh, and I'm asking because I'm also curious, like I do, one of the things I talk about is there's three sort of core professionals that help with incorporation. There's the accountant, the lawyer, the financial advisor, and we each know enough about each other's realm to kind of know enough, but also know when to hand off the expertise Correct, yeah. and not overstep our boundaries. So I'm also curious to hear a little bit more about um, what you put what you put down there. So um, just to dive on in, uh, so talking specifically, one of the big questions, I get a lot of questions around incorporation, you know, like um, around the subject of when do I start my medical professional corporation? Right. And so if you want to give just like a, an overall idea of, you know, maybe some general questions you get or maybe some general stages at which you're meeting people and then we can dive into some specifics. Well, I guess um, the three questions that we've outlined there, um, if you're making a certain level of income, uh, it might make uh, sense to incorporate from a tax savings point of view. Um, of course, uh, that will depend on whether you need all the cash that's coming into the business or not. Um, and whether or not you have any opportunities for splitting income, which are very strict as of our recent tax changes. Very good. And so what we can maybe do is walk through the lifetime of a corporation. So let's say someone is a resident physician right. and they transition into practice. So now they have the opportunity to incorporate, right? Right. And the, the way that I put it is basically um, the m money goes into the corporate. The way I think of it, and this is a, a client of mine whose spouse said to me, Galen, just think, and this might be a little bit too uh, <laughs> simplified, but think of the corporation as sort of a special bank account. 
Like you get paid into this entity or this thing, and it's very different than getting paid a salary in the sense that you have more control over um, how much comes out and when. Correct. Uh, the corporation is an entity into itself. So the money is no longer yours. It's the corporation's. So in order to be paid, you have to take a salary just like you do for any of your staff um, or through dividends. So it's not really, it's, it's no longer your money. Mm -hmm. So you therefore don't have to report it all on your personal income tax return. Right. The corporation will have its own recording and filing of tax records and expenses for those things. Right. Very good. And the thing that helped me remember that was the first time someone, and this should have been a bit of a no-brainer, but someone said corp. Corp comes from the Latin corpus, which means body. So it's like a separate body. body. And I was like, oh, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, separate legal entity. Yeah, separate legal entity. Right. And so one of the things, you know, I ask people, why did you incorporate? And usually what they say is to save on taxes. But I have found that just the mere fact of incorporating doesn't necessarily mean someone's saving on taxes if they're not being strategic about it. Absolutely. Yeah. If they've incorporated and they're drawing all the cash out of the company, they have to take it through salary or dividends and they could very well be paying far more tax than they need to. Mm -hmm. Right. So we'll dive into that a little bit. So the first bullet point is um, you said if someone's making and like you said, like you're hesitant to give blanket advice, but these are some indicators of, OK, this could make sense. <laughs> so if someone's transitioning into practice and now they are um, making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more net of expenses, it might be a good time to incorporate. And what about that number? I know it's not a fast and steady, like fixed number, but what about that number makes it sort of an indicator? That's where the marginal tax rate that you're paying personally on that income uh, would probably make sense to incorporate and incur those extra expenses that come along with corporation, like your extra tax filings and income statements and legal resolutions done each year. Right, because there is a yearly cost of yes. carrying a corporation. So yes, the savings pretty much has to match the, you know, or at least has to outpace the, um, the bitter minimum match, but then also outpace the, the cost of it. Yes. Right. And then um, another thing that you pointed out, which is another indicator that I look for, is um, making, you know, a certain level, but also leaving something inside of the corporation. Like you're making enough such that, like you said, if all you're doing is like so you're getting paid into the corporation and then you take it all out it might not make you know financial sense to incorporate because your taxes might even be higher than if you were just taking it personally and you've got the cost exactly of every year paying the accountant lawyer to do all the um do the filings and the paperwork around that right right part of the savings uh, the tax savings through a corporation is the deferral of tax so you pay a lower rate on the corporate tax up front Hopefully, when you take the the income out at a later date, you're in a lower uh, income position, as in retirement. Right, and that's another thing that I point out. I mean, not to doubt, not to talk too much about what I do, but it's also in the sense of yes, tax deferral, and then like how to be strategic about that. Like, if I'm going to leave money inside of the corporation, what 
vehicles might make the most sense as far as investments go and things like that. But that's something I'll cover in a separate one. Um, so, okay, so 150,000 or more is sort of a benchmark, um, actually leaving some money behind in the corporation to defer some of those taxes. Because um, you do, like you said, you have the ability to sort of choose, like how much do I take out this year to use personally? How much do I defer until next year? Right. And deferring until you know retirement then having a much lower tax bracket potentially and really making the most of it. And then the third point you mentioned was um, if you have a spouse and adult child um, that can play a role in the corporation. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that as well. Well, if you have spouse or adult children, and I say adult children because they do have to be over 24, um, if they're contributing actively to the company uh, in a, you know, in a reception, scheduling, filing, um, then you can pay them salaries uh, equivalent to the work they're performing. Um, so that's a way to some some income splitting. Um, and then once either spouse is 65, uh, you can use dividends uh, to income split through the corporation without any active uh, work within the company. Got it. Okay, without active work. Okay. And so this rule changed a little bit ago. It was, um, like you mentioned, um, what are some of the big, um, is, are there any strategies that people are able to use to kind of mitigate that? Like, uh, uh, my understanding is a couple years ago, it was not uncommon to see someone splitting you know, the bulk of their income with a spouse and it was fine, but now that's not fine anymore. Absolutely, yes. Right. The, the, the rules changed within the last couple of years and they're very strict now. Mm -hmm. In the sense that they're sort of looking for, you know, um, paying the spouse what's reasonable for the work that they're doing and not more than that. That's right. Right. As if you would be paying someone else. You can't pay them more right. for equivalent work that Right. You wouldn't pay someone else. Like if my child is filing for me a couple hours a week, I'm not going to pay them. You know, I wouldn't pay a stranger an hour. Yeah, I wouldn't pay <laughs> a stranger hundred thousand dollars an hour to do that, so I can't do it for my child. Right. So okay. Um, and then, is there any? Um, I mean, is there any strategy? Like, have there been any things that um, you've seen people shift around the way they do things, or any sort of strategies they've been able to do with that, or is it really just a cut and dry? This is how it is now, and. There's not a whole lot we can do about it. Well, it's fairly recent, so mm -hmm. we don't have any precedence yet. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen the fallout yet. Mm -hmm. So we try to abide by the guidelines that CRA has provided, which are not set in stone. Um, and until we see how they're interpreted or um, how strict they're uh, mm -hmm. following these, uh, We'll have to wait and see. Right. Very good. Um, yeah, and I see. I find that to be the case where, uh, at least in my experience, where something is put out there from a legislative side, and there's a bit of a waiting game to see how does this really uh, shake out. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of changes in the last couple of years that really were, you know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, about the passive income coming out of a corporation, that changed a lot. And um, I find that, you know, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, but certainly on my end, a lot of what I do is um, 
trying to think of a better word than hedging my bets, but I guess I just keep a really open mind about what the future may hold and not lock someone into one path that may not continue to work in the future. And I know I'm being a little bit vague about that, but when I hear advisors say, this is what you should do, and it's always going to be this way, I find that a little bit scary because i that's the kind of thing that gets people into trouble sometimes is following this very concrete black and white course of action. Well, and the truth is we don't know what it will be in the future. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the tax rates will be. We don't mm-hmm. know what the tax legislation will be. And this has been, the last two years has been proof that anything can change and the best laid plans (laughs) don't always come to fruition so right for sure yeah i mean i remember um there are a couple changes about six years ago and well there been i mean i've been an advisor for six years and there's been kind of two or three kind of different things that have happened and i remember hearing people say oh no well it was grandfather last time so it'll be grandfather this time and i'd say until you see it in writing you don't know um just because they did it this way before doesn't mean they're going to do it this way again so we have to kind of you know stay on top of things that's one of the big things and see what news is coming out and what um how, like you said, how strict they're being around um, the, you know, the, the fallout of the changes that they've made, or even sometimes the changes got reversed or reconsidered. Um, and that's another factor to keep yes, in mind. for sure. Very good. Well, I think that's about it. Um, is there anything you want to add along the lines of, you know, if someone is, I mean, I guess one of the things I'll ask you is how we've talked about these sort of benchmark um, things around incorporation, but... I mean, even before someone incorporates, or even if someone doesn't incorporate, they can still meet with an accountant. Like you don't have to wait until incorporation. Like I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You still, you still could use good advice from your advisors uh, without incorporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I talked to um, uh, some of the residents I work with and talking about you know tuition credits and things like that. And I'm a big believer of. I mean, I personally, I, I don't do my own taxes because it's something I do. If I were to do it, I would do it once a year. Um, I might make a little mistake that would more than, <laughs> like, the, the mistake might cost me way more than it would have cost for me to pay a professional to do it. Um, so certainly I'm a big believer in that. Um, anything else you want to add to, to the discussion around, um, specifically to residents or physicians? No, I think we've covered most of it. Well, just to generate information mm-hmm. and for everyone to seek out help because no one's situation is the same. Yeah, absolutely. And there are things, I mean, I I mentioned it before we hit recording, but before I became an advisor, I remember I would go and I would sit in my dentist office waiting room and I would pick up a magazine that was about finance and I would read an article thinking, oh, this is the next thing I should do. And then a week later, I'd be, let's say, in my doctor's office and I'd pick up the next edition of the same magazine and all of a sudden there's a different thing I think I should be doing. Which is contradictory to the first. Right, which felt oftentimes contradictory. And it wasn't until I became an advisor that I even understood, okay, like what is the big picture? Like I'm a big fan of looking at the big picture and the long term. Like not just what's gonna what has worked in the last month or two, but what has worked for a long time and the bit long future picture of what um, what's most likely to work for the long term and hedging against the changes that can happen. Um, perfect. And so um, where can people best um, get in touch with you if they want to know more about um, getting their taxes in order? Uh, on probably best by email. Okay. I'm Nash at Welch with a C-H dot O-N dot C-A. Perfect. And also they can check out the website, Welch, LLP.com. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Melanie. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Thanks.
Thanks for having joined me on this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth. Be sure to go to galenhelpsdocs.com to get access to your free financial bootcamp for Canadian doctors. That's galenhelpsdocs.com, G-A-L-E-N-H-E-L-P-S-D-O-C-S.com to get your free access to the Canadian doctors financial bootcamp and be in line for the next Money Mastery Challenge that I'm holding. Take care and talk soon.